0: Before we do the Philippines, I guess we should talk about the Panama Canal.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, it's a little out of chronology, but... And it's such a good story. Such a good story. (laughs) So, um, according to uh, American history, uh, every step was taken with utmost care, carried out with the highest finest and nicest standards of public and governmental (laughs) ethics.
0: You know, when they say that, that it (laughs) must be rotten to the core.
1: It's a pretty good story. So the Spanish American war made the Americans realize that a canal was an urgent necessity. Uh, If we're going to transfer vessels from the Caribbean to the Pacific you know, sailing all the way around Cape Horn, all the way around South America is just not going to do it. So this made finding a route for a canal uh, a priority. And at first, the Americans favored a route through Nicaragua. So there were a couple of different options being considered, and they liked the Nicaraguan one. Um, They weren't the first, though, to try to construct the canal, can, can you guess who it was?
0: Not Spain, probably Britain. Probably Britain.
1: No, it was an individual um, named Ferdinand de Lesseps. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to meet him. Gosh, we're going to go back in time and meet him. He was the originator of the Suez Canal
0: project. Oh, so French, right?
1: Yes, he's French, mm. uh, very well connected. We'll, we'll go more into detail about his career in a later episode when we go back into the Suez Canal. But uh, basically, with his connections, he raised a lot of money in France to start the Suez Canal. Uh, it, things changed pretty dramatically because of the international situation, and it became a joint uh, British-French-Egyptian project. And De Lesseps was eventually, in a way he was kind of elbowed out, but he also bowed out. And then he went looking for something else to do and said, hey, Panama. (laughs) So he's got experience. He's well known in France and he used his connections again to raise a lot of money. Uh, People figured, hey, the Suez Canal worked out really well. Uh, Let's invest in Ferdinand. Now, he knew that the Panama Canal would be only about 40% as long as the Suez, but it was a a much bigger engineering challenge because you had tropical rainforests, uh, the climate, which is described as debilitating. Also, you're going to need locks, canal locks. And in this case, anyway, there's no ancient route. For the Suez, there was an ancient, ancient canal that you could, you know, follow that route. So as soon as they started this project, it got pretty ridiculous right away. The, the jungle was just filled with venomous snakes, venomous insects, poisonous spiders. And then, of course, you had yellow fever, malaria, and other tropical diseases. And they lost literally thousands of workers Uh, by 1884 the project started in 1881 by 1884 the death rate was over 200 a month and they just had no countermeasures partly because they didn't realize that the mosquitoes carried the disease they just didn't understand how it was communicated so and who were these
0: workers they were local people from colombia
1: no, they took volunteers. So, uh, Europeans hoping to strike it rich. Um, and then the usual, uh, mixture of, uh, coolies and. Uh-huh. Adventurers. And they kept this quiet. Uh, the conditions were really downplayed back in France because they didn't want to run into recruitment pro- pro- <laughs> problems. But of course, the other problem was it, it was really difficult to maintain an experienced workforce. They just kept dying, and the mm-hmm. new arrivals, you know, didn't have the same experience. I
0: mean, the the high estimates of the numbers of people died who died building the Suez Canal are also unbelievably shocking. So, you
1: know. uh, an estimated twenty two thousand
0: men in Suez.
1: No, uh, no, in Here. in the Panama.
0: So as might be higher. I'll, I'll 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 double check, but I've I've read some shocking figures.
1: Well, the French went basically went bankrupt in 1889. Uh, they spent about 287 million dollars. Uh, they lost 22,000 dead workers, but when they went bankrupt, uh, about 800,000 investors lost their savings. And this mm-hmm. created an enormous scandal when the real conditions came out and the reasons for their failure. It was known as the Panama Affair. And some of the organizers and, and you know, men at the top of this uh, were actually prosecuted, including de Lesseps, uh, a fellow you might have heard of, Gustave Eiffel.
0: There's some oh. building, right, named after him? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: the builder of the Eiffel Tower. Uh, de Lesseps and his son Charles were found guilty of misappropriation of funds, and were sentenced to five years imprisonment. Uh, de Lesseps was 88 years old at that stage. I don't—he was not imprisoned, but he was convicted. So a new company, uh, La Compagnie Nouvelle du Canal de Panama, uh, was created in 1894 to take over the project.
0: You know when you name it. La Compagnie Nouvelle. It better be the last one because what are you going to name the next one if this one fails?
1: <laughs> Après Nouvelle? <laughs> I'm not sure. Post something.
0: 3.0? Point, point <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they,
1: they had a workforce of only a few thousand. It was a, a pretty minimal workforce. And mainly, they were just keeping this going to comply with the terms that they had agreed to with the Colombian government. So something that uh, many people might not realize is that there is no independent Panama at this stage.
0: (laughs) That's part of the trick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It is part of Colombia. Hmm. So the French have made an agreement with Colombia to build a canal, uh, and to run the Panama railroad, which they, you know, are hoping will eventually be built. So, they're just keeping it running to honor their agreement at the lowest possible level and to keep the stuff that they've already done. You know, they don't want to let it go to, uh, to rack and ruin. But they're also shopping around for a buyer. Does somebody want to bail us out? <laughs> and uh, they got some interest in the U.S., So they are asking for $109 million as a price tag for, you know, the work we've already done and take over our concession. So they're just doing the bare minimum to continue while they shop around for. This
0: is is the dark side of startups, you know, they're just, they're not really trying to even do the work. They're just uh, trying to wait for a buyer.
1: Yep. Yep. So the new manager of the new the Compagnie Nouvelle is a fellow named Philippe Bunau varilla Bunao hyphenated Varilla. And he's a very clever individual. And I think the smartest thing that he did was get himself an American lawyer. <laughs> so he found William Cromwell who uh, eventually billed him for $800,000 for his legal services.
0: Yeah, the lawyers always win.
1: <laughs> well, this lawyer did. <laughs> um, so Cromwell found out that the American government was interested and opened negotiations to get the Americans to buy out the French company, which would assure, of course, a healthy profit for its leading lights, including Mr. Brunel Varilla. So in 1903, uh, the Americans began negotiating directly with Colombia. If we take over this concession and use the Panama route, you know we want some guarantees for our money. What they wanted from Colombia was a renewable lease in perpetuity. So meaning the land that we use for the canal, Will be leased to us forever.
0: I don't like these words "forever." You know, you sh- it doesn't really have a place it. in a business deal, does it?
1: Uh, I don't even know if that's possible.
0: Why? <laughs> well, I guess a lot of the treaties imposed on First Nations have lots of. Well, the British settled the-
1: for a 99-year lease on Hong Kong, right? The Americans want a perpetual lease. They're driving a pretty hard bargain here, so. Uh, The Colombian chargé d'affaires, Dr. Heran, uh, nah, it's not a good deal. The Americans are offering us $10 million and then an annual payment, but they want this in perpetuity. So Colombia says, nah, that's not a good deal. I think they had some idea of what it was worth, and it was worth way more than this.
0: Yeah, you never, you never give away land in perpetuity. You just, there's never, <laughs> you never do that. That's re- yeah. You're getting free real estate advice from a history podcast, friends. Never do that. Yeah, please don't.
1: So at this stage, I have to go back a little bit to uh, your favorite and mine, Theodore Roosevelt.
0: Oh, God.
1: Yeah, so here's a, a quotation from <clears throat> Teddy. It's his interpretation of the Monroe Doctrine. So the Monroe Doctrine says no European power is allowed to interfere in the Western Hemisphere. We, we of course, are. So Teddy has a little little spin on this. Uh, He says, the sole desire of the United States was to see all neighboring countries stable, orderly, and prosperous. Any country whose people conduct themselves well can count on our hearty friendliness, brutal wrongdoing or an impotence, which results in a general loosening of the ties of civilized society may finally require intervention by some civilized nation. And in the Western hemisphere, the United States cannot ignore this duty. So basically what he's saying is run your country the way we like and we can be friends hearty friendliness boy that sounds wonderful
0: yeah who wouldn't want to be heart who wouldn't want to have hearty friendliness with teddy rose with the u.s hmm.
1: yeah whereas do something we consider wrong or you know don't run your country properly and you can expect the americans to intervene uh, he also said uh it will show these Dagoes that they have to behave
0: decently. <laughs> Dago is, uh, I guess, at this in this racist context, the word they use for Spanish-speaking.
1: Yeah, it, it comes from the patron saint of Spain, um, San Diego. San Diego,
0: Saint right? James,
1: San, San San Diego. So it somehow got corrupted and became Dagoes. But when it's used that way, it is. Um, yeah, it's definitely an insult, and, well, are are you shocked? So, given what Teddy thinks about, you know, Spanish America, uh, it's not a huge surprise that the Americans took the steps that they did. So, Colombia is not, I, I wouldn't say playing hardball, but they're obviously not going to sell you the canal for a song. And that means that they need to be taught how to behave decently. So Bunao Varilla told Teddy Roosevelt and uh, Secretary Hay that there was a possibility of a revolt by Panamanian rebels who wanted to separate from Colombia. And they were hoping for support from the United States, support. Obviously, including money, arms, and, uh, hey, U.S. troops. So that got Teddy's interest right away. And he sent so
0: they, they concocted a rebellion, which they then supported with the explicit aims of creating some kind of separatist movement so they could break the country off and, and do something that was solely in U.S. interests?
1: not exactly the, oh, okay. the the rebels do exist okay. but let me use one word to describe the status of their revolt against the colombian government uh pathetic
0: <laughs>
1: there, there's a yeah, I,
0: you know the story it sounds vaguely familiar
1: you mean because it's been repeated so many times <laughs> around the world
0: yeah,
1: yeah. so Roosevelt sent American army officers in plain clothes to investigate and to contact the rebels
0: just to, you know, see how they're doing. Maybe yeah, have a cup of yeah, exchange coffee with them.
1: Greetings.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. So American now this is the, the, the early stages. Now, nowadays I guess they would be CIA operatives, but these are American army officers and uh, yeah, they contacted the rebels and um they gave some encouragement and made some promises. And that led to an uprising by the Panamanian rebels against the Colombian government. This is uh, now November of 1903. American you mean it started
0: sh- after the American army officers went to investing? That's curious in terms yes. of the timing.
1: You mean the coincidence aspect? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, American warships blocked the sea lanes to prevent Colombia from shipping troops in there to put down the rebellion, which they probably could have done fairly easily.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there was also a blockade of the railroad by American troops, you know, just intervening in the interests of neutrality. So basically, they uh, contacted the rebels, got them to pick a date, blocked Colombian, uh, Colombia from any opportunity to put down the rebellion. And then Panama declared its independence on November 3rd. Wow. And would you be surprised that the United States was the first country to recognize, <laughs> officially recognize the new nation?
0: Well, it's, it's some kind of... Uh, drive to support independence everywhere in the world. I think, and freedom and, and democracy, and you opposing know. tyranny. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Colombia was still in a pretty uh, rough shape because of the Thousand Days War. They had a civil war from eighteen ninety nine mm-hmm. to nineteen oh two. There is no way that they can fight the Americans, right? They don't have the fleet, and now their army can't get to Panama. Right. So it's it's a done deal. So the Americans did not want to pay Colombia for the right to build a canal through their territory. So they just (laughs) removed the territory from Colombia. Wow! And uh, now Panama is an independent country and take a wild guess who became Panama's ambassador to the United States.
0: Panama's ambassador to the United States. So it must be someone who's from Colombia. You know someone who's who's from panama and just uh you
1: philip bunau varilla <laughs> i mean this is <laughs> this is the part of the story i love so you've got a failing company you're in awful shape and you just want to sell it so you organize <laughs> an independence country a r- revolution and then you get rewarded by being made Panama's ambassador to the United States. He's That's why French. He ends up... he's French. He's
0: French, just for clarification. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's the French director of the Compagnie Nouvelle, trying <laughs> to get money for himself and his investors. So he ends up signing the Hey bunau Varilla Treaty, which uh, grants the United States the right to build and indefinitely administer the Panama Canal Zone.
0: Well done.
1: So Colombia got nothing, but the French investors got their money. Uh They got paid $40 million by the Mm -hmm. American government. So American taxpayers bought out the French investors Oh, also, the French had been hoping for this money for so long. Some of them got nervous and sold their shares to American speculators. So, <laughs> forty million of taxpayer money, which I think back in nineteen oh three was a pretty good chunk of change, yeah. uh, went to uh, French and American speculator businessmen. They, if they had paid forty million to Colombia, they could have skipped the whole. Independence, war, nasty dealings, underhanded, crooked, you know. <laughs> but they didn't want to pay Colombia. They're perfectly happy to pay French and American speculators. And I, you know, the distinction is pretty clear. So the Republic of Panama became a U.S. protectorate. So you're independent, but you know, because of your uh, <clears throat> race. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, watch over you. You'll have training wheels on until we say uh, so. And that was until 1939. Uh, in 1921, the U.S. and Colombia signed a treaty, the Thompson-Urrutia Treaty, and the Americans agreed to pay Colombia $25 million. Uh $5 million was conditional on ratification. And they gave Colombia special privileges in the canal zone. I don't know what that means.
0: What right. <laughs> they gave Colombia privileges in the canal zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And in return, Colombia finally recognized Panama as an independent nation. This um this all of this skullduggery didn't go unnoticed at the time. The New York Times described uh you know the American collusion with Buno Varilla as an act of sordid conquest. Mm -hmm. And the New York Evening Post called it a vulgar and mercenary venture, which is pretty dead on, I I think.
0: We've come a long way from the highest, finest, and nicest standards of ethics, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs)